This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury, and this is Matt Splained. I want my MTV. That was about as good as it got when Matt Splained was in its infancy. Now as consumers are simultaneously deluged with viewing choices and experience limited mobility as a result of the pandemic, is it time that movies and cinema, pop culture mainstays for more than a century, moved into a new realm? Matt, I I thought today was going to be a recommendation show, not a soul-searching look at the role of a celluloid institution. Hey, Rich. Well, I'll be honest, one of my favourite episodes of the year is when I get to geek off about new releases, all the shows Mm. and movies that I'm really excited to see over the next few months, especially over the last few years, as we've seen the focus shift away from sort of Hollywood movies and towards long-form content, specifically the kind of titles coming from the newer digital streaming-based content producers. Uh, Now, one of the shows that uh, has come out, I think, in the last few weeks is the latest season of The Expanse. And I have to admit, I'm really behind with with that show. But Uh we've been massively spoiled with shows like The Mandalorian, Stranger Things, and Black Mirror shifting to the streaming platforms with much larger budgets. Now, um, for nerds without a social life, by by which I mean you, Matt, um, the last few years have been kind of uh, couch potato heaven, right? Yes, I'm genuinely surprised that my legs haven't simply shriveled up and dropped off. So even accounting for all of the Marvel content getting pulled from Netflix by Disney and killing off really cool shows like uh, Jessica Jones in the process, not to mention not seeing the awesome Rosario Dawson across uh, multiple shows and arcs anymore. You know, the last 12 months has been filled either with absences or truncated runs. Uh, Fear Fear the Walking Dead, which uh, improbably transformed itself into a zombie-filled spaghetti western, uh, stopped after just seven shows in its latest run. Stranger Things didn't make it back onto air in 2020 at all. And there's a seemingly endless list of shows that may or may not make it back to our screens, including Mm. another zombie great, Black Summer, which was one of the most relentless and exhausting shows I think I've ever watched. Uh, Other shows like the TV adaptation of The Purge, which, okay, it got a little bit draggy at times, but it had that same low-budget aesthetic of the films. Shows like that, you know, have definitely gone for good. I don't want to be a, you know, a moaning mini, but is is this going to be... You know, just you whinging for 20 minutes about the shows you've loved and lost. I mean, that would be heaven for me. But uh, obviously, you know, uh, no, because uh, COVID has been a a major factor behind a lot of this disruption. Lockdowns have affected everything. And that's understandable. Uh, Look at all the focus there's been on Tom Cruise and the production of Mission Impossible 7, because they've been trying to pioneer a way to produce movies and run pandemic-safe film sets that won't endanger the crew, the actors, or the public. Mm. And we've seen huge changes to all kinds of TV-based content, 
Uh, I'm including film in that for reasons that will become apparent. But we've seen studio shows run without audiences, panel shows where the participants have huge perspex screens separating them, uh, late night shows presented from the homes and even the attics of their hosts and the guests zooming in. Uh, we've seen sports like basketball taking place inside bubbles where everyone, including the support staff, are sequestered inside the resorts for the entire season. And nobody can leave and come back without completing, you know, mandatory quarantine periods. Yeah. And what kind of effects has that had on uh, schedules and content? Well, a lot of the shows that have been announced for this year are actually just shows we should have seen last year, like the latest run of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, you can tell that I have a, an unhealthy obsession with uh, release schedules on IMDb. But um, a good chunk of those shows had probably finished or almost finished principal shooting before the pandemic locked everything down. But we have to remember that the lockdowns also halted post-production the editing, yeah. the sound mixing, the marketing parts that we often don't give too much thought to until Oscars night. And even then, what we tend to think is, who cares about an Oscar for sound mixing? Uh, and even when that production work is finished, sometimes the networks uh, or the production companies have chosen to hold that content back. Being British and of a certain age, I'm a big fan of the motoring show, The Grand Tour, and the stars of the show made it clear that the network was holding the release of their most recent special back because there's no way for them to shoot any more episodes in the foreseeable future. So mm. the latest special came out around Christmas, which is roughly a year after it was uh, originally scheduled to be released. So we're seeing that uh, adaption process happening with serialized content. Film companies are, you know, experimenting with ways to continue making large-scale productions. Uh, but what about all the movies that w were scheduled to come out in, in, in 2020? Well, I guess that's really the focus of today's show. You know, the role that movies and cinema play in a digital-first post-pandemic society. Now, I know that phrase is uh, sounds like it's designed to take the fun out of film. Uh, and if we get time, we will do some recommendations at the end, uh, because there's a lot of nerd-first content slated to be released this year. You know, we've yeah. talked about the fact that uh, COVID-19 has acted as a digital catalyst in a lot of ways, not creating, but accelerating a lot of trends that we were already starting to see. So last year, we mostly focused on the work-related trends. We talked about advances in automation. We talked about advances in artificial intelligence, changes mm. to the way we work and shop, and of course, how we do or don't behave online. But coming back to the movies, there was the news recently that the GSC theatre chain has had to close a, a couple of its cinema locations. Yeah, one at uh, Vijaya Times Square and uh, another in Churras. And yeah, that's, you know, that's really sad news to me um, because it hits me in both the, the macro and the micro perspective. Going to watch movies is one of the principal ways I relax. I mean, I, I told you yeah. I, I took last week off and normally I would go out and watch a movie every single day if I had that kind of time off. And Obviously, that option is not op uh, open to me at the moment. And I know I'm a bit of a, an outlier here because I actually like watching films on my own. I've never really mm. understood the social aspect of sitting alongside your friends and not being able to talk to them for, for two mm. hours. 
for me, it's better to go and watch the film at your leisure and then meet up and have lunch with those people to talk about it. Or in your case, you know, post something on Facebook and have a little rent. Well, you can make that dig again once you find out we're all inside the matrix for real. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm even more of an outlier in that I would often go to the first showing on a weekday when the theatre is pretty much guaranteed to be mostly empty. I've watched right. loads of movies where I've essentially had a private theatre simply because I'm the only person who's bought a ticket. So mm. I can watch movies at home, but it isn't the same. That said, there are films you want to see on the screen and films that are fine on TV. I watched uh, An American Pickle last night, the Seth Rogen movie, and I would have been very disappointed if I'd seen that <laughs> on a big screen. So yes. <laughs> last year, I think, I got into uh, a bit of an argument with one film buff about the Scorsese movie The Irishman, which came direct mm. to the streamers. So I argued that a movie like that doesn't need the big screen treatment. You're not actually missing anything by watching it on a flat screen in your living room. Plus, you know, it's three hours long. You can pause and take bathroom breaks and meal breaks without actually missing any of what's happening in the story. Whereas I mm. think something like uh, the Fast and Furious franchise, when you try and watch them at home, they seem, you know, diminished somehow. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I said I'm kind of an outlier. What, what's your take? No, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, it, I think The Irishman was something that I was happy that I watched at home. Uh, for sure. Um, a couple of things, though, you know, 1917, I went to see the, the cinema twice. Uh, and I think had I have watched that at home, I wouldn't have enjoyed it uh, at all. Uh, and recently I watched uh, Tenet at home. And that kind of made me wish that I had been to the cinema to see it uh, and perhaps had that cinema experience because watching that at home was not a pleasant experience at all. Well, we'll get to uh, Tenet later. Uh, but um, uh, but yeah, I've seen 1917 at the cinema and uh, at home, and actually it worked both ways. I was uh, I was surprising how engaged I was watching it for the second time at home because mm. I expected it not to have that that same appeal. But you know, even before COVID nineteen, we were seeing you know firstly companies like Netflix and Amazon producing streaming first movies as well as this kind of episodic content that they've become known for. And people used to laugh at movies that went straight to DVD. But for me, you know, how else are you supposed to see some of Nicolas Cage's finest work? Because it's mm. never going to make it to the big screen. And that straight to DVD stigma, I think, has changed a little bit over the last few years. Uh, increasingly, as I said, episodic drama and comedy is where the real action and innovation is happening. Big name stars are happy to attach themselves to these projects. And we've seen the streaming gatekeepers become increasingly aggressive during the film festivals, securing mm. rights to indie films, to documentaries, and increasingly to foreign language or non-English language content. Uh, the Netflix show Lupin, which is in French, has become an enormous hit in the US. I think it's the first time a non-English language show has made the company's US top 10. And it's riding high in the, the, uh, the top tens in Malaysia as well. So the bigger question is, where do movies and the cinema experience fit into this new cultural landscape where we have so many options? 
it's not just a cultural question. This is a, a multi-billion dollar industry. Well, yeah, box office sales are still the biggest indicator of a movie's success or failure. Studios still focus most of their attention on it. And we have to remember that movie theatres are a big employer. When you go to a, a, a multiplex, a multi-screen cinema, there are dozens of people working there, scores of people working there. There's people in the ticket booths, the snack kiosks and cafes. There are the ushers, the cleaners. You know, it's an entire ecosystem. And those locations, they're typically inside malls or high-traffic commercial centres, are often anchor tenants because they're part of the draw that brings people to those locations and feed into other businesses, the restaurants, the bars and the shops. So that's what we'll get to after the break. Where does cinema fit into this kind of new post-pandemic world? All right. And when we come back, Matt Splained, breaking box office records here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Banish feudal mentality. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Matt Splained. My name is Rich Bradbury. Now, um, one of the things we touched on before the break was production. Now, there were a lot of movies uh, that were queued and ready to go last year. What happens to them now, then? Well, I think on the one hand, everyone hoped that those movies would just, you know, come out as normal this year, that the coronavirus vaccines would get us back to, if not normal, then at least almost normal. And as you said earlier, movies are a massive global business. Uh, cinemas yeah. reopened sporadically in Malaysia last year, but there were very few new releases to watch because there wasn't that synchronicity. So Warner's tried to do a global release of Tenet mid-2020, and they lost tens of millions of dollars. You know, the fact that it was a, a pretentious, vacuous movie pretending to be clever really didn't help, as we were discussing um, <laughs> off, uh, off air. Uh, but overall, you know, we're seeing titles being postponed once, twice, three times, even more. I mean, it was announced a few days ago before um, or a few days before we recorded this show that the new mm. Bond movie has been delayed again this time mm. till October. Now, ironically, the movie is called No Time to Die. But at this rate, <laughs> Daniel Craig will have died of old age before we actually see this movie. And all the futuristic spy tech he uses will actually be off-screen antiques. Yeah. And even so, though, despite the rise of uh, digital streaming, the cinema industry wasn't declining. Well, that's true, although it has varied from country to country. So AMC Entertainment, which is the world's largest chain of multiplex cinemas, which I think now has uh, Chinese owners, uh, was seeing uh, booming revenues, even though audience numbers were tailing off. So what yeah. we've been seeing in cinema chains is a growth in innovation, moving away from the idea of cramming as many people as possible into uncomfortable upright chairs and stuffing them full of low quality high margin snacks and it also goes back to that point i made earlier about the kind of movies we want to go out and see because the cinema chains can't compete with the streamers on price especially mm. for families on stretched budgets because you can get multi-screen family access to a lot of the digital content services for 
you know, 50 ringgit or US 10 to $15 a month, compare mm. that to the bill for taking a family out to watch a film. You'd probably be close to double that just for the tickets and snacks, let alone the, uh, the window shopping pressure to buy Junior the latest dunk strop. Yeah, but so far, have the studios stayed committed to the cinema over the streaming model? Uh, it's interesting. So um, typically cinema chains in the US at least split the ticket price 50-50 with the studios. And for that, they generally get a lock-in of around three months before the movies go to other platforms. Mm. And that delay has been critical. It's one of the reasons studios work so hard to hype their titles. They want to build up the anticipation so that you're desperate to see it on the opening weekend. You know, you'll go and queue around the block to buy tickets. But the studios, like a lot of old media, haven't really kept up with changing tastes and behaviours. We don't want to stand in queues anymore. In fact, we'll pay people to stand in queues for us. We want True. to buy, you know, we want to buy the tickets online. We want to pre-book and collect our snacks without fuss. And we want to get ash, uh, ushered rather through a fast lane to our seats. We want the experience to be as close to relaxing at home on the couch and pressing play on the remote as we can possibly get. But there are signs, as you suggested, that the model is changing. For example, like Warner's announcement recently that they're going to release all 17 of its films for 2020 simultaneously on their HBO Max platform. Yeah, so that one, when it was announced in December, it was a bit of a game changer. I guess from the perspective of this show, the, the key movies for them this year will be the new Suicide Squad, Godzilla vs. Kong, and of course, next December, The Matrix 4. Uh, yeah. Obviously, a lot of the cinema chains weren't thrilled at this development. It's not uh, obvious if the rest of the studios will follow suit, but some are negotiating new windows with the cinema chains that are closer to three weeks than three months. Certainly, it makes a lot of sense for a studio like Disney, which also has its own streaming platform, to adopt this kind of model as well. But what's interesting about the Warner announcement is that its parent company is a telco, it's AT&T. And that yeah. telco, in addition to owning content platforms like HBO, sells consumers domestic and mobile internet access. So you can look at it in a number of ways. Putting those movies onto AT&T's HBO Max helps to build the platform's subscriber base. Uh, as a lot of articles have pointed out, Friends may be one of the most streamed shows on the various platforms, but it's not a reason to subscribe in the first place. You need a stronger carrot. So this kind of deal means that HBO Max can drop an exclusive blockbuster every single month. So it serves as both a, a customer acquisition and retention model. It's no wonder you watch films on your own. You, you could bleed the fun out of an Adam Sandler movie. The king of straight to DVD and, of course, now a, a Netflix mainstay. Um, I have to admit, I kind of like his stuff in the same way that I'd rather watch Jason Statham than Meryl Streep. Uh, I've actually watched uh, Fifty First Dates more than once, and I even liked his movie The Cobbler. Uh, but the other point is that AT&T can afford to use its Warner's film arm as a loss leader for a few years. Now, that might sound crazy. The studio, Warner Media, is a $30 billion a year business. But AT&T, servicing customers with the infrastructure and connectivity that they use to consume all that digital content, is a $180 billion business. 
And as I think we mentioned on uh, on a show a couple of weeks ago, ISPs and telcos are expanding their businesses as companies realize that remote working is good for their bottom line. We mentioned that uh, some of the telcos are now offering multiple lines to consumers, one for business with greater security and protection, and another for the kids to watch Mark Rober videos on. So while not every studio is in that situation, they don't all have uh, deep-pocketed ISP parents, many of them are looking at shortening that exclusivity window with the cinema chains before they go to digital. And, And that brings us back to the cinema chains. Where will they sit in this whole new movie ecosystem? Well, as we were saying before, you know, cinema relied on a a tried and trusted model. So whatever the on-screen innovation, whether it was 3D, IMAX, various Dolby surrounds, even Smell-O-Vision, the core offering was still lots of people in rows of seats. So in recent years, we have seen that uh, developing, changing, altering. For starters, there are a lot more seating types, including uh, loungers and recliners and beanbags, you know, things that make it feel like you're more at home. We've seen Mm. kid-friendly theatres where you're not expected to sit down and be quiet for an entire movie. The kids can watch and play, which I imagine is a much less stressful experience for parents. And then there's the the multi-sensory experiences, 4D theatres and motion chairs. Uh, I tried them once, and as someone who suffers from vertigo, it wasn't an entirely well thought out decision on my part. Uh, but the uh, the same with the uh, food offerings, uh, table service at uh, some classes of theatre, better food and drink than the usual popcorn and cola. So this seems to be the new model. Improve the experience so that you can justify higher ticket prices. You can mm. introduce subscription models, loyalty programs, rent out screens for private events. So even if attendance numbers are dropping, profitability can still be maintained. It still doesn't really address the issue of where cinema fits into the whole entertainment ecosystem. Well, no, coronavirus has been a hard reset for many entertainment-related industries, especially ones that have clung on to old-fashioned or traditional business models. We've seen certain parts of the movie industry reacting to the new digital content companies like Amazon and Netflix as though they were a bad smell, which is weird because, you know, they're content production studios in their own right. Award ceremonies are not geared to make it easy for these digital studios to enter their own movies for submission. But as I Mm. said, these new studios are signing and optioning not just the Adam Sandler type movies. They've gone for the auteurs as well as the action makers. They've got Scorsese, Alfonso Cuaron, the Coen brothers, Steven Soderbergh, Guillermo del Toro. I think Netflix is slated to release Halle Berry's directorial debut, uh, Bruised, sometime this year. And anyone who's seen what Jon Favreau has done with the Star Wars spin-off The Mandalorian on Disney will have quickly realised that you can be an episodic show and have all the trappings of a blockbuster at the same time. Yeah. Um, Do you think we'll see more extensions of ideas and franchises across different media and platforms? I think so. For example, uh, each episode of The Mandalorian was a different length. As the producers stated, that was both to surprise the viewers and to give each episode as long as it needed to tell the story. So some episodes clock around an hour, uh, others are closer to 30 minutes. The idea of prescribed lengths 
is essentially to fit around TV schedules and ad breaks. So the streaming companies don't experience those same constraints. So maybe we'll see those lines blur further with movies becoming a part or a component of those episodic series. So we'll see the shows hopping from the living room and onto the cinema screen and back as it runs across the show's arc. So it just mm. becomes another way to extend the experience and tell the story in a different way. And of course, as I mentioned a couple of weeks back, we'll see those game platform tie-ins becoming more integral to the cinema and streaming experience, or rather mm. increasingly blurring into them. I don't think we're seeing the end of movies or cinema going, but we are seeing a hastening of that reinvention and adaptation to the way that people want to consume movies and content. Whatever happens... I'm still going to be there, alone, cheering Jason Statham on at 10.30 on a Monday morning. <laughs> um, okay, I might regret this, but I, I think we've still got some time. Uh, do you have any recommendations for shows and movies uh, to look out for? Well, I mentioned Matrix 4 already. Uh, I watched the original trilogy again a couple of weekends back. And amazingly, a lot of the uh, special effects still hold up. Uh, and I know that uh, everyone hates Matrix Revolutions, but... I don't, so hey. Uh, The Witcher will be back for season two. Not my thing. Didn't enjoy the first one, but, you know, it does fit the nerd type. Look out. Yeah, look out for the Swedish movie Red Dot in February. It's one of those uh, mysterious hunter horror things. Uh, Tribes of Europa, also coming in February, is a German post-apocalyptic thing. Uh, No zombies, unfortunately. But Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead uh, will have zombies and robberies because you know Zack Snyder so no date announced for that one yet uh then there's clickbait a series showcasing the dark side of social media uh season two of dead pixels a comedy about open world uh, gaming season one was absolutely hilarious um mm. lots and lots of swearing though so be careful with that one uh stranger things may make it back this year i i really hope so one division uh, a surreal marvel sitcom based on scarlet witch and vision is already running that started at the beginning of january that's on my to-do list for this weekend the falcon mm-hmm. and the winter soldier series they're coming up in march uh black widow in may and uh, a hawkeye series later in the year that's a lot of Marvel. Well, this isn't the rom-com show. I mean, what, what do you expect? Um, <laughs> free Guy, uh, Ryan Reynolds discovers his uh, background character in an open world game and decides to recode his life. I'm really looking forward to that one. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it sounds very, very cool. The Loki miniseries is a, another one I'm going to be really happy to sign on for. Uh, it seems that uh, zombies and anti-heroes are, are going to be my theme for 2021. So I'm also really looking forward to what should be the final season of The Walking Dead. And I hope we get season two of the uh, Walking Dead spin-off, World Beyond, later this year. Season one had a rocky start and it had some kind of dodgy casting, but it found its feet towards the end of the run. But the showrunners have also promised that the series will give clues about exactly where Rick Grimes, the original Walking Dead linchpin, was helicoptered off to in season nine of The Dead. Look, you know, I, I hope this year gets better. I hope the cinemas and the release schedules open like floodgates and we can complain about how sick of popcorn we are again. Uh, I really hope that I finally get to see A Quiet Place Part 2. What's for sure Mm. is that there are going to be 
plenty of really cool movies and shows to watch this year. The real question is going to be how and where we watch them. Thanks very much, Matt. You have been listening to Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9. If you missed any part of this show, download the podcast wherever you normally uh, download it from. Or, of course, you can listen back to it on the BFM app. That's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. If you're interested in some of the other stuff that Matt gets up to in his spare time, you can find him on Instagram at CulturePop and at CultureMatt. You can also head over to CulturePop.com where he's got transcripts of these shows, articles he's written, and of course information on the business and consulting side of what CulturePop does. This has been Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.